This episode, we're traveling through the Australian outback to see that, once again, being a parent can tend to be quite the thankless occupation. And for our fact, we're visiting a tiny oceanic island with some rather lofty myths and deities that faces a problem encroaching the world over. A nuanced balancing act with high stakes and a little bit of snark? Brand new year, same old cast. Here on the Colored Folklore Podcast. Episode 5, Oceanic Cultures, Indigenous Australian Creation Myth. Happy New Year, Happy New Decade, Happy New Corner of the World for us to explore here on the podcast today. Thank you all so much for giving us a listen, hopefully a download, maybe eventually a review. Playing us in there up top is the song Mr. Mischief, via all good folks, the music collective consistently ringing us in and piecing us out here on Le Podcast. Our super smooth podcast artwork is courtesy of Jacqueline. Please check out her gram for more of her work. And our uniquely dazzling podcast logo is brought to us by Arthur. Please check out his behance for more of the same. That only leaves Lilo me, your host, Griot Menma, magically transporting you through the sound of my voice from one end of the world to the other, exploring indigenous culture and the folklore that brought this world into existence. And speaking of the dream time, as the intro to the episode first pointed out, today we're making our way from the Arctic Circle where we last visited the Inuit and their raven-centric creation story to the intricately layered indigenous peoples of Australia. But before we get started taking a look at the culture that birthed today's tale, I'd like to take a quick moment to revisit the word Aboriginal. In our trailer, I mentioned that when we tour the oceanic cultures, such as we're doing today, that we... You know what? Let's just play you the part of the trailer that I'm talking about. From the indigenous Arctic cultures to the Aboriginal Australian... Now, though I said Aboriginal with a capital A, if at any point in time, in any other episode, I've said Aborigine, I want to wholeheartedly apologize. If anyone were to ask why, Amnesty International has a wonderful article that sums it up best. Here, I quote the article directly. Aborigine is generally perceived as insensitive because it has racist connotations from Australia's colonial past and lumps people with diverse backgrounds into a single group. You're more likely to make friends, and yes, that's exactly what it says, you're more likely to make friends by saying Aboriginal person, Aboriginal, or Torres Strait Islander. If you can, try using the person's clan or tribe name. And if you're talking about both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, it's best to say either Indigenous Australians or Indigenous people. Without a capital A, Aboriginal can refer to an Indigenous person from anywhere in the world. The word means original inhabitant in Latin, end quote. And that's to help anyone who may mistakenly or otherwise think that Aboriginal and Aborigine are interchangeable, because they're not. This week, we're going over the culture and the mythology of Aboriginal or Indigenous Australians. I'm going to work with Indigenous Australians from this point moving forward, but also know that I'm talking about Indigenous to the continent, to the, the landmass of Australia. So hopefully it doesn't get too confusing. This is the oldest culture that we've gone over so far on the show with a start of between 65 and 50,000 years ago. And from what we know, 
Today's indigenous Australians migrated from Asia and lived throughout Australia, Tasmania, and New Guinea at a time when each one of these modern-day separate landmasses were one and the same. As sea levels rose, those individuals on the Australian landmass were isolated from other landmasses, which happened about 12,000 years ago. Now, hundreds of years ago, at the time of European colonization, the population of indigenous Australians isn't known exactly, and it has a crazy large range of about 300,000 to 1 million. And they spoke about 250 different aboriginal languages. As is the case with nearly all colonization across the world, the aboriginal population collapsed rather severely with the introduction of foreign diseases and attempted genocide. This nearly halved the number of spoken aboriginal languages to between 120 and 145, with all but 13 being seriously endangered today. Moving forward into the present day, and according to the 2016 Australian census, indigenous Australians make up about 3% of Australia's population, or just about 800,000 people, where 91% of this 3% identify as aboriginal. And really quick, for anyone that's looking at these numbers and not recognizing the scope, colonization began approximately 400 years ago with 30 settlers and uh, around 750,000 aboriginals. Now, there's about the same number of aboriginals and like 24 million other people. So, yeah. Another impressive stat to reinvestigate is the number of languages spoken by indigenous Australians. Whether you're pointing out the 250 or the 145 or the 120, or you know what, even if you were to half that number and say uh, 60, that's a lot of unique languages that exist. So it goes without saying that the indigenous people of Australia are beyond diverse and have incredibly unique cultural makeups. Their religion and mythology are no different, and a type of separate but related link can be made between their religious ceremonies just as one can be made among their different language groupings. Some of the most famous among these concepts are the Aboriginal spirituality concept of the dream time, or songlines, or their vastly rich tradition of oral storytelling. The mythology of indigenous Australians can be reflected in their surroundings. The topography of Australia is just as fascinating as its many different peoples. Not only can their ancient myths help to define the areas that they're from, they can also help to describe the living creatures that they share their landscape with. As we'll see in today's tale, where we watch the Sun Mother give birth to pretty much everything. Once, very long ago, everything was still. Everything on the earth and beyond it was sleeping. Everything except for the great spirit above them all. This great spirit was awake, and it was time that everything else woke up as well. So the great spirit awoke the one entity that could do just that, the Sun Mother. Softly waking her from her slumber, the great spirit asked if she might be able to go to the earth and wake all of the sleeping spirits. She could then give them substance and form, and eventually, their names. The Sun Mother was much obliged, and she made her way down to the earth. The earth, being so very young that most all of it was bare, 
was a patchwork of subtle gray and brown, and not very colorful at all. Walking the land in all directions, the Sun Mother immediately changed this as plants of all kinds sprouted up all around her. Walking the planet in full, the Sun Mother returned to the spot in which she started and looked around. She was very proud of herself and thought that she might now rest. However, the Great Spirit spoke to her and insisted that she now move on from out in the open to spaces more hidden. She needed to head into the caves and under the ground in order to wake the spirits residing within the earth. The Sun Mother went into the first cave and shone her light for all to see. Insects of all shapes and sizes awoke, opening their eyes and coming into existence, and immediately voiced their displeasure at having been awoken. However, the instant they lay eyes on the vision of the Sun Mother, they were grateful to be in her presence. Making her way from the first cave to the second, she was trailed by all of the creatures that creeped and crawled, that scuttled and buzzed. Walking into the second cave, once again, she shone her light to awaken and give purpose to all of the spirits therein. Reptiles and amphibians, large and small, fearsome and adorable, blinked their eyes in surprise and began hissing their annoyance with having been brought into the world. But once they saw the Sun Mother's radiance, they were enthralled and knew that this was a blessed existence. Making her way from the second cave to the third, she was now flanked by all the creatures that slithered and burrowed, that were scaled and were shelled. Walking into the third cave, the Sun Mother shone just as bright as ever to help bring more and more spirits into the waking world. Birds and mammals, from oblong to streamlined, from furry to feathered, rubbed at weary eyes and bleated, chirped, and mewled at the discomfort forced upon them. Only, just like the other creatures, once they recognized the Sun Mother's glory, they were thankful to have such a beautiful life alongside their mother. Now that the world was bustling full of life, full of color, the Great Spirit was pleased beyond mention. The Sun Mother gathered up all of her children and let them know that it was time for her to move on from this world that the spirits of the land had been given awareness, that peace was the rule of the realm, and that they should all enjoy the world and all its gifts. Letting them all know how much she loved and cared for them, she lifted back up into the sky and became the sun as we know it today. When the Sun Mother said goodbye to the daytime and dipped down in the west, all the animals froze solid out of fear. Panic swept the land. Where had Mother gone? Why was it so cold? Why was it so dark? Did Mother not love them anymore? Had she abandoned them? All night the mournful wails of all the living spirits, speckled with sobs and fearful shivers, was all that could be heard until the smallest of light peeked over the eastern horizon. Watching the great Sun Mother rise from the east before then lowering in the west, all the animals realized their mother would return. They were not alone. It went this way for a very long time, and all of the animals lived in peace, abiding by their mother and enjoying the gifts of the earth. However, after some time, the creatures began to covet the gifts each of them had been born with. Animals with no limbs bickered with creatures born with many. Animals with feathers began quarreling with creatures that had scales, and such were fights all across the land. No longer able to watch over such arguments day in and day out, the Sun Mother once again came down to the earth to try and help her children find peace. 
Offering the animals a chance to choose a new form, the Sun Mother entertained many interesting requests. Rats, hoping to take to the air, wished for wings, and became the bats that we know today. Kangaroos, hoping to always be near their babies, wished for a pouch to carry their young. There was one creature, though, that wasn't sure what it wanted to be, asking first for a bill like a duck, but to also have teeth to chew. The creature also asked to have webbed feet and a flat tail, but also to have fur to stay warm. Finally, when the creature asked to be able to lay eggs, the sun mother stopped all the other animals from taking different shapes. The platypus would be the last animal to ever change its form. Knowing that there needed to now be something perched in the sky to help monitor the world's spirits at night, the sun mother gave birth to two very powerful children, the moon and the North Star. Placing them into the sky, the Sun Mother let all the animals know that during the day, she would be there to watch over and help the world. And now, during the night, they would have her children to do the same. Giving these two entities some of herself, some of her very own mind and spirit, she was able to keep them in the sky and prevented them from wanting to be something else, which is what happened to the animals. After quite some time, the moon and the north star gave birth to children of their own, the very first human man and the very first human woman. As these new creations found their way all over the earth, they learned to exist alongside the animals and the plants. All three types of creatures learned about each other, about which ones were threats and which ones were helpful, about where they would be most comfortable and where it was difficult for them to exist. And, according to the indigenous peoples of Australia, that is how creation began. Now, what I was going to do was really lean into the parenting aspect of this tale. <laughs> the great spirit would have probably become a mother, grandmother, maybe a little bit more on the elderly side, poking fun at how memory isn't exactly 100% spot on the older that we get, uh, us humans. And the uh, son mother would have probably become a mother slash single parent working to please both her own parent and keep the peace among her children, then, you know, I don't know, maybe have a life of her own. As anyone knows that is a parent, these are, are just Herculean tasks in and of themselves. Um, I, I wouldn't have wanted to lean into this too much, though, because I think, I think our fiction does uh, a bit of a disservice to parents. You know, I see in so many different modern stories across media, Children that are pretty disrespectful to their parents. Yeah, I'm not saying that parents are perfect. Trust me, that is one thing that uh, that I actually wish society would do away with. Uh, parenting is super hard, and it might help if we were to stop pretending, at least in the West, that any of us are are good at it because. Uh, it's kind of like just mitigating damage and uh, stripping away some of the pressure of the position may may help us to do our jobs better, you know. But uh, I I see a lot of things where uh, a child will talk to a parent in a certain type of way, and I'll think to myself, 
<laughs> I would be straight up just picking myself up off the ground as an adult if I spoke like that to my mama. I'm, how the, How is this little kid going to talk like that? Maybe maybe it's households of color. I know that's kind of a, a, a trope and maybe cliche, but... I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. I I don't know. Uh, what what I'm not sure exactly ages the best with the tale. I did use a bit of a combination between two stories, uh, between two sources in in how I built my story. But in one of the versions, it it gendered the great spirit. And and anyone who is familiar with my podcast knows. We the the way that I look at it, we've had a lot of the the father father son son brother brother do this do that, and I'm just um, I'm just trying to move away from that. So the great spirit is originally the great father, and that's why in my second source where it's listed as the spirit above, I dug on, I liked, and I ran with that one. Additionally, the great father wasn't uh, gently prodding or nicely asking anything. That spirit was like. Go do this. Go do that. Uh, oh, 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 you want to rest after singing a world into existence? One more cave. Go do it now. So mm, I know it's a personal pet peeve. Uh, it's one of my personal qualms. Just ask. Just simply ask. That That's all I'm saying. Ask. Ask nicely. Ask genuinely. It gives someone and their request so much more credence. Just just in, in, in my opinion, like if I were needed to spark some life on the planet, I would think that someone might, uh, might ask me more along the lines of, hey, you know what? Whenever you're good, if you maybe might want to be able to do this like along this way, we would, we would appreciate it a lot, like so very much. It, w- it would mean the world to us. And then after it was done, maybe a thank you. You thank you for taking every spirit on earth and waking it up. That was solid. (laughs) Just matters. I mean, they matter. Even in our fiction, they matter. At least they they matter to me. So what I think along those lines, no, not along those lines, what I think works along earlier lines, uh, same thing I was kind of poking fun at earlier, but even more so, the way that the story uses myth, straight up Muller, in order to explain the way the natural world came into existence is just, aha, it makes sense to me. Bats being, you know, basically rats with wings. Ivy, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to call it out though. Like they, they kind of are, you know, I mean, I know it's our thing, but like they kind of are. Uh, oh, a uh, different animal that I actually left out uh, was uh, the wombat. It's super cute, but it's got these crazy Freddy Krueger claws and stuff like that. Um, I really like when fables and legends and tales show you how ancient humans saw the world around them and they were like, what the crap is that? And then set out to explain it. And now the fact for our episode is going to be a little different. So bear with me here. Just uh, let me run with this. We're talking about the island of Nauru. When ranked by area of land, Nauru is the world's third smallest country, a circular island of about 20 square kilometers, 60 kilometers south of the equator. Its nearest neighbor is an island about 300 kilometers away, and it boasts a population of around 9,000 humans or so, where two-thirds of these are indigenous peoples. 
first inhabited around three millennia ago by Polynesians and Micronesians, the island was colonized a little over 200 years ago, which led, of course, to the introduction of Christianity, where some version of this religion is currently practiced by 77% of the population. A mixture of many other religions make up the other 23%, and a number so low, resulting in the number of practitioners being, seriously, single digits, is that of the Nauruan indigenous religion. This monotheistic belief system follows the female deity Jebong with a creation story that is as follows. That's right, you're getting two stories. Once, very long ago, there exist only two things. The old spider, Aeropinap, and the sea. The old spider was hungry, and in looking for food, came upon a gigantic clam. Before the old spider even knew it, the clam swallowed the spider up, trapping Aeropinap in the darkness. Exploring the inside of the clam, the old spider found a very small snail. Placing the snail under one arm, the old spider fell into a deep sleep for three days, willing some of its power into the snail. Once awake, the old spider found another larger snail and did the exact same thing. Upon waking up for a second time, the old spider told the snails that now that they had some of the spider's power, they should climb up to the clam's hinge and pry it open. As the snails slowly scooted away from the old spider, they left phosphorescent trails that allowed the old spider to see more of what was inside the clam. Not long thereafter, the old spider found a white worm and immediately forgot about the snails. Sensing that this creature was the true way to escape, the old spider cast a strength spell on the worm. Emboldened by this new power, the worm pressed itself against the roof of the clam and against the bottom of the clam, and pushed. The clam tightly held shut. But before long, the worm was starting to exhaust the clam. Every time the worm flexed, sweat would pour down its body. And with this proverbial tug of war going back and forth countless times, the worm's sweat gathered first into a trickle, and then into a stream, and before any of the creatures knew it, into a vast lake, and eventually into a mighty ocean. The saltiness of the worm's sweat was too much for the clam, and finally the clam succumbed, opened itself up, and passed away. The old spider took the lower part of the clam and made the earth, took the upper part of the clam and made the sky, and to honor the two snails, put them in the sky making the smaller snail the moon and the larger snail the sun. Wrapping bits of the clam into silk, the old spider created land and the multitude of islands throughout the sea. Looking for the worm to congratulate it and show it the world that the old spider had just created, Arup Enap discovered the body of the worm. Exerting itself beyond imagination to open up the clam may have killed the clam, but it also did away with the worm itself. Wrapping the worm in silk, the old spider honored the worm by putting it into the sky and creating all the stars, giving life to the rest of the galaxy. And, according to the people of the island of Nauru, 
This is how the world began. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. Two weeks and two stories-ish? Last week was a couple-sentence add-on tale about the raven and how awesome that creature was. This week, it's kind of like a mini-episode in an episode. Uh, The fact of this week, it's paired with another story because, well, number one, this story is awesome. I mean, come on, our logo got that spider front and center, so any spider mythos is tugging on our heartstrings, and uh, we got to give it some love. Two, remember what I said, this is the crux of a religion. There are some humans walking the planet to this very day that believe this is how existence began. Don't get me wrong, I'm not poking fun at them. It's the exact opposite. I'm, I'm giving them credence. I'm, I'm shining light onto their sacred beliefs, their stories, their way of life. Because number three, and this is your fact, it, they, we are disappearing. Whether that's other religions expanding their congregation or modern technology turning human beings away from ancient lore and towards a different, ever-expanding future or the ever-present threat of climate change. Regardless of where anyone sits on their political spectrum, the world is physically changing. Sea levels are rising. Sea temperatures are... (laughs) It's, It's not just getting bad. It's past bad. And there are a number of living creatures that suffer from this, not just aquatic animals, but the human animal and the human experience. As Pacific islands disappear, so do thousands and thousands of years of unique human culture. There are a number of things that we need to do as a people simply to friggin' survive. I get it. It's, It's hard to keep your head on a swivel and figure out where to help or where to dig in or what to do because... Everyone needs help. I just want you to realize that everyone, including those you've never, ever heard of, they have incredible stories and and myths and a history that's rich and vibrant and deserves an audience. If you have a moment, please educate yourself, research opportunities. Let's make sure that we stand together to make sure that the future stands correctly. I'm sure that the island of Nauru would thank you. And that's the show, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Colored Folklore Podcast with our trip through the oceanic cultures. We would like to invite you all, along with pretty much anyone you know or ever heard of or would like to talk to and invite, to come along with us again for our next episode where we head to the extremely large, extremely diverse continent of Asia. Thanks be to thee, all good folks, for your Mr. Mischief, the song that intros and outros the cast. Thank you, Jacqueline, for your wonderfully composed episode cover art. And thank you, Arthur, for your excellently contoured logo. If there's anything that you have any questions about, suggestions that we do, maybe legends or fables that you'd love for us to take a look at, go ahead and send us an email at info at coloredfolklore.com or you can check us out at our social medias. I most definitely need to update those post haste, but they're on the Facebook, uh, the Twitter, the Instagram, all with the handle Colored Folklore, all one word, and the best way to check out our everything, as always, our website, www.coloredfolklore.com. Here, we'll be 
All of the episodes, all of the show notes with references and research are allies, which include friends of and inspiration to the show, contributors and their information. And if you feel the need, there's our support page where any number of ways you might be able to help out the show. Because, you know, everybody needs a little bit of help. That's that's all we're saying. Make sure you're eating right. Are you bundling up? Your father wants to speak to you. Merle! Merle, our baby's on the phone. No, 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 no. Don't go yet. Hey, 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 are you seeing anyone? I know, I know. It's none of my business. I just want to make sure you're happy. I just... I want some grandbabies. You know I love you. I miss you. Starting off the year with a weird one, but come on, I had to get that parental figure impersonation in here somewhere. Make sure you wear a clean underwear, baby.